This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, good uh, afternoon, good morning, good evening from wherever you are in our great, wonderful area in North America. It's Carm Capriato, Aftermarket Weekly from Remarkable Results Radio. Survey says we are going to get in deep with my great friend Tom Ham. Uh, before that, we got to thank Dorman. As always, we're coming to you live from the Dorman OE Fix Studio, sometimes called my Carm Cave. Dorman Products creates hundreds of new automotive replacement products every month. Part of what makes Dorman so unique is their ideation of new and innovative products. They have dedicated teams all across the U.S., Mexico, and Canada looking for new product ideas. Since every solution starts with a problem, these teams of researchers, field analysts, product specialists, and contributors consistently visit repair shops and make field calls. Now, this is to best understand the problems the industry is facing. In certain cases, Dorman will manufacture aftermarket replacements so you aren't forced to go back to the OE. Other times, experts take it an additional step, further solving what made the original part problematic in the first place. Solving for a problem is what powers the innovation engine at Dorman. Dorman Products has become an incredible engine for innovation. They are constantly bringing new replacement parts to the automotive industry, and they routinely release tens of thousands of parts across all different categories. Now, why did they do all of this? To enable technicians the freedom to fix their customers' cars and trucks. To do this, Dorman has dedicated teams focused on different aspects of the vehicle to ensure that they are meeting the needs of the aftermarket. Although a lot of their parts are reverse engineering of original equipment, they also redesign and redefine solutions such as their loaded knuckles or programmable electronic power steering rack. Dorman has invested in these OE Fix innovations to help you save time, your customer money, and prevent vehicles from coming back to your shop. In certain cases, Dorman will manufacture aftermarket replacements so you aren't forced to go back to the OE. Hey, want to know more about Dorman? Visit dormanproducts.com forward slash tour. As always, thank you so much, uh, Dorman. I appreciate that. Tom, it's not getting any easier to run a business today. I mean, I have to tell you, there is just so much swirling around. If you're paying attention to the world around you, into your network, into your people, into your market, into your customers, then you're doing a good job. But still in all, Tom, I love the idea of litmus paper, if you will. Occasionally, we do some medical testing with litmus paper, don't we? Sure. All kinds of fun stuff. I can make a comment on your late 60s, early 70s. I remember the Dorman boxes of various that they had solutions for stuff 50 years ago. I remember in the gas station, we'd have them on the shelf. So I just, the Dorman always uh, brings back this kind of memories from way it worked in the drive. They're a great company. So many incredible products. And they actually have a director of ideation they're always out thinking themselves. But, you know, you put a litmus paper out. The great company that you have, Autocentric in Grand Rapids, is a shop. You've been the legacy owner of that. And then Automotive Management Network, amnshop.com. You've got this incredible thing called polls. And that's my litmus paper, if you will. Get in there, jump on board, look at the polls. And what we're going to do, and we did this maybe a year or two ago. Tom would come on often. We would do these polls. We hadn't done a poll in so long, and it's timing. It's perfect timing as we enter 2023. To Again, Tom has his ability to come up with these very timely topics. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to show our first slide. Let me see if I can pull it up here. What we try to do with the polls is in you can have fun with polls, and our polls really aren't intended to be fun. 
They're intended to be management help polls so that you can get some solid information to help run your shop from the polls. We got 130 polls. We always have the last three are open to anybody uh, to to view and so on and so forth. And then uh, uh, you got to have the premium membership. It's been 59 bucks, so it's less than an oil change. And that, that'll get you into a whole bunch of stuff, including the other 127 polls. And we also leave them live too. So you can go in there and you can answer six or eight or 10 of them yourself. And you can look at the results uh, of a ton of different subjects. I'll guarantee if you go through those polls, you will find some fascinating stuff. It helps make decisions too when you on, on certain issues. You've got this great, uh, if you will, filter or sorting capabilities so that people can actually look at specific areas and see the number of polls that are behind there. So Tom, I said, send me some stuff that you think is perfect for, if you will, litmus testing today. And here are the five polls that we're going to take a look at. Why techs avoid working at some shops. So interesting. Job applicants. What are the possible reasons they might be rejected that you're saying no to? And uh, are you paying for health insurance uh, premiums for your people? And tell me about the stress level in your shop. Uh, And then service advisor responsibilities. We've done shows on that, and I am so glad you did a poll on that. So, hey, are you ready to jump in and let's uh, show the results of our first first poll? Yes, sir. Let's do it. All righty. Here we go. So here's the first poll. Why techs avoid working at some shops? Tom, I'll give it over to you. Number one, I mean, everybody can guess what number one is going to be, and it, obviously that's what it is. But I think we had, uh, oh, I don't know, 24 different options here that people could pick from in this poll. What's interesting, I, I thought number two, three, and four were interesting, that if a shop is too dark, if it's too dirty, and if it's too disorganized, I'm not going to work there. Yeah, That would have been different years ago, but I think the people nowadays, you a little bit more modern, more high-tech employee who doesn't want to work in one of these dark caves from the 1950s. Uh, they've just had enough of that and they want a, a nice workplace. Tom, I think this has a lot to do with our younger generations. I mean, so many of the, if you will, legacy, and I don't want to say the world old timer, but you, I, I think you know what I mean. They've been around a while. We grew up in what happened to be dark and dirty and, you know, in greasy floors. And today, first of all, when you get a chance to see some of the incredible top shop operators and how clean and bright their places are, you know you have a choice. But I think so many of our young people and some other things, the next slide is is very apropos. They just want a nice place to even eat lunch, right? Well, it was interesting uh, on that next slide is these were the things that came in uh, uh, last. This is kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum over the technicians least concerned about. What were their Eh, not that big a deal. And uh, that's kind of interesting, too, is, is as owners, we'll spend a lot of money on uh, putting together uh, retirement IRA plans. We'll spend a lot of money on a, a beautiful break room, so on and so forth, which came in last on the technician's desire list. <laughs> yeah, but Tom, if you go back to the fact that it was dark and dirty and disorganized, and yet I don't care about a lunchroom, I don't think that jives with me. I think they want that as part of bright and beautiful. That's my opinion. I tend to agree with that, and I want to agree with that. We've actually kind of posed this question uh, in the past, and it's amazing how owners tend to think that lunchrooms are more important than the employees, is what I found over the years, which I found a little weird, but that's what I have found. I see what you're saying. And uh, boy, I have to tell you, that zero-tolerance drug policy, I we did a great episode with David 
Schmidt, an OSHA consultant and inspector in California. And in that episode, and uh, when this comes out, that episode will have already been released. He discusses some very interesting pieces of the marijuana thing about testing either blood or litmus, okay? And there are two ways to go about it. The litmus doesn't check one thing, the blood does the other. And pre-employment or post-accident, there are things, Tom, we all have to know about depending on the state that we work in. I'm so fascinated by, again, as I said in the opening, there's so many things we have to pay attention to. Uh, Good stuff. Thank you so much for this. Why techs avoid working at some shops? Let's do the next survey. Job applicants, the possible reasons they may be rejected. And this was from an owner's perspective. Yeah, we're we're asking owners, what are the things that, you know, most likely would cause an applicant to be rejected? What things kind of come to the top of your mind? I love it. 70% driver license issues. Wow. Okay, Tom. We're in the um, transportation business and we have, Yeah, it's amazing how many people have driver, and then that ruins the application as soon as they don't, as soon as they have driver's license issues, which is just kind of, seems kind of bizarre. I thought that the bottom four on this list, and again, we're at the top, we're, we're at the majority, we're in the 60s percent wise, but four of them in a row, notice these negative comments about past employers, know it all, and questionable attitude and excessive demands. Those four all go to one thing. The the applicant is sitting there talking, and that's where all these four come from. The owner is sitting there hearing this, and he's going, nope, 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 nope. I don't want this guy. And and you can often tell uh, right away. So this is a great poll for technicians to pay attention to. Yeah, we want them to talk, Tom, and we really want to be a good listener. And when you start seeing the know-it-all, the questionable attitude, the excessive demands, they could be nervous. And I think you need to dig in a little deeper and ask some follow-up questions in that area. And if you can't get them off of their Mr. Know-it-all thing, then in my opinion, the interview doesn't go much further. Yep, absolutely. And the frequent job changes. I mean, if the guy needs, can I have an extra sheet of paper to list more of my jobs? Or he brings in a three-pager for you. (laughs) The only other thing is if if you see some good stock in front of you, then you may want to go out and say, hey, look, at, tell me about these last 10 jobs. Why one year apiece? Yeah. What were you looking for when you changed to the next job and were you able to get it? You could find an answer that satisfies you. If you're a technician, you're watching this, I'll give you a tip. Just list the last three. Even if that only covers the last year, just list the last three and stop. <laughs> Let them ask for number four, five, six. But for heaven's sake, don't keep listing them because it, it's a decreasing return. <laughs> the further you go, the worse you look. Yeah, only list three jobs. Great. Uh, and now let's go into the second slide of this because there were so many things that came back. These are great, by the way. These all got a more than 50% reply. Those are the only ones I'm listing on here. They're more below that. But So these are all biggies, if you will. Inconsistent information, that which means kind of you don't know. Uh, there's a truthfulness issue here. Late for interview. Uh, it's got to make you laugh. Listens poorly, sloppy appearance, incomplete application, and lack of manners. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I just Some of these just make me laugh. It's inconceivable to think Oh, by the way, there's an awful lot of companies that have formed in the last, say, three to five years that are helping technicians nail better interviews. They're cleaning up their resumes or spending time on some of their soft skills. And if I was a technician who knew I needed that kind of help and I went for it, 
then the reason you've invested in yourself to get the bigger, better job at the place you want to work at and that lend into the skills you have, this is the perfect, if you will, support tool to realize that uh, never be late for an interview. Because guess what? <laughs> You're going to be late for your first day on the job. Again, tip to the technician. I mean, imagine this to be what you're having here is the first date with that girl you wanted to date for like three years. Okay. Prepare accordingly. <laughs> yeah, very good. I'm going to go back one slide. And the 70% of the poll that came back was driver license issues. Do you think this is part of our younger generation that just continues to rely on Lyft or Uber? I can't imagine in the suburbs, people that live in the city, they get around different kind of job. But if you've got to go out and test drive a vehicle, how could you expect to come to work with no driver's license? Yeah, it, it amazes me that every once in a while I'll talk to a shop owner, run into a shop where, where one of their employees cannot drive. And it's just kind of like, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> What that does to the efficiency in a shop, because everybody has to pitch in and they have to help out Fred because Fred can't drive. So everybody's got to do stuff for Fred and, and, and it, it just becomes a, a giant nuisance. So I think we did it once and that was our only venture. We'd never determined to never do it again. That's a scratch your head moment. Yep. It is. It really is. All right, let's do the next one. Ah, what percentage of health insurance premiums are you paying? The question here is uh, what percent do you pay as the owner? And 35%, one out of three owners say we pay nothing, zero. And uh, at the other end, uh, one out of five owners say we pay for it all. And then you have the ones that are in the middle. And I kind of split those up a little bit, uh, about 27%, about one out of four pay half. This is just something that the, the way things are going, this has to continue to uh, go up. More people have to end up at that 70, 90, 100% level with uh, you know less people at the bottom, especially if you, you nowadays trying to find help, you really have to provide something significant. You know, the word in the industry is unicorn. You're looking for a really an exceptional individual, good quality stock, great commitment to uh, the company and to the culture, willing to continually learn a unicorn. You got to pay 100% of that person's health care if you want an individual like that. Number two, the question is, how do I do that? It's not like, why should I? Because you'll never really build the kind of team you're looking for so that you could be like Tom and spend six months in Florida, but you can do it. And everybody who hires themselves a coach, joins a networking company, understands their financial statements better, appreciates what their labor rate means to the profit of their business and their parts matrixes on the margin of their parts, ends up with the kind of money you need to pay that level. Most shop owners, it's very simple from the parts end, you know, because here's a part that uh, always cost me $10 and I charge X, whatever my markup is. And then uh, so for whatever reason, there's big price increases. Now it costs uh, $12. And uh, so the, uh, you know, we, it's usually automated in the software. So now the owner, uh, he's charging more for it because now it costs him $12. And the same applies. And I, I don't want to refer to a technician as a part, but in, in a sense, an hour of technician's time is like buying a part except you can't return it. It's not returnable. But still, you've bought this part. And if the part costs more, then you need to charge more for the part. Yeah. And so many of these things, whether health insurance, pay, and all these other things, equipment and everything else, if you're paying more for something, you need to charge more for something. Hunt Demarest, who's on the Aftermarket Radio Network, did a great podcast. Off the top of my head, guys, I'm sorry, I can't remember the number. 
But if you listen to Hunt, then you would have heard this. And he talks about the different, you may have five or six steps in your parts matrix, uh, margin matrix. And he said, if you think about, you know, it was, if it was 1900 and the lowest part of your thing could be, you know, 50 cents and today, you know, maybe three or $4. When you look at what's going on with inflation today, he suggested that there's a bump up, you know, one level bump up in that, that your lowest margin parts are costing more now and you can make more money on it. So there, you've, you've got to really take a look at that because you've got to make more money as inflation is happening the way it is. So that's a great point. Well, you have to, it's going to continually get more more expensive to operate and you just simply have to have enough income to cover it all. Great point. Uh, let's continue with the survey and uh, that's the pay portion. Now here is, wow, Tom. Tom, I am so glad you sent me this stress levels at your shop. Let me explain that to you. It was from one to 10 with 10 being the worst stress level. So tell us the results. Yeah. And you could leave that slide up if you want a little bit to just to make sure we explain it properly. Cause it, like you said, that it's not supposed to add up to hundred percent. The point is, is that when we ask technicians or employees of any kind, so it could be service advisor or anyway, or the owner, what's the stress level where you work a scale of one to 10, one is almost no stress. And nine or 10 is my God, you're pulling your hair out all day long. And we have 40%. Four out of 10 people said it's eight, nine, or 10. I can't imagine why people, they leave jobs, why they leave the industry, et cetera, et cetera. They may have worked at six places where it's always eight, nine, or 10, and they've had enough. Five being the midpoint, we've got four out of five people said the stress level is average or above average where they work. I think reasonable, everybody has their own judgment, but I think reasonable, we want to be somewhere one, two, or three is where we're shooting for, I would think, with a, a stress level. It's perfect world is zero. That's not going to happen. But, I, you know, one, two, or three, if everybody's kind of in there, it must not be too bad of a place. But we got less than one out of five people saying it's four or less. Uh, that's just scary. I mean, that's why are people going to leave the industry? Why are people going to quit working at your shop? There you go. I'm so glad you did this. I'm so concerned about workflow issues, policies, procedures, and all of that lends to that the left hand knows what the right hand is doing. And when you start, I don't care if it's a ticket at the counter or a job in the bay, and there isn't a procedure to follow, then stress insures. Uh, what's the word? Insures. Keeps going. It's just there. I think there's a big issue that we all need to take a look at because if you're looking, we say, well, my God, I hired this person and, you know, I had a great interview, found a good tech, gone six months later. You didn't do a good exit interview to find out what it is. And maybe that individual didn't even stop to tell you what the issues are in the shop. But I think you've got to learn. Tom, thank you for bringing this up. You've got to manage stress. SOPs, policy procedures. That's, that's what we always talk about that stuff all the time. And, you know, and, and owners are always figuring out, you know, what do I do? How do I, what do I create, et cetera, et cetera. And that's something I can talk about all day long. But instead of just figuring it out yourself, which is good, and I've got a whole system for that. But what another thing you can do is ask the question of each one of your employees. And the question is this, what do we do here? And anything from the moment you get here to the moment you go home, what do we do here that's not as clear as it could be? It's a bit confusing. Everybody doesn't seem to be on the same page. What things come up? You can give me one or two things. You can give me 10 things. Now you have a good policy and procedure list to work on 
because these are the ones at your shop, which may be entirely different from ones at my shop, to work on because now you're customizing them to your employees instead of a generic thing. That's a huge point. That could be, you know, the biggest gift we have in this episode. What do we do here that is not as clear as it should be? I mean, that's a stress buster question right there. It's not just a stress buster question. It goes back to, oh, my God, we've got to fix this. And it ends up getting into policies and procedures and that single page policy that exists online and in the cloud for all of your people to go to and continually update and improve. That's where the question comes in. We have a whole ton of comment on, on AMN Shop, Automotive Management Network, on uh, on policies and procedures and SOP. We just have a ton of comment. I mean, you should really spend some time there before you try to write any of them. There's even a th- uh, instructions on how to write them. Think about that. It is an incredible, incredible resource. If you're not a member of amnshop.com, please go there. And yeah, there's a premium membership where you get a whole lot more. But as Tom said, 59 bucks. I don't know where you go today to get $59 worth of anything like that. Good for you. Hey, I think we have one more. It's a double page poll. And uh, let me put it up here right now. Service advisor responsibilities. Now, Tom, I know this is, we, we put it last because this is your favorite. There they are. There's the, uh, the first five, estimating, collecting vehicle information, parts ordering, and just to, to pose the question here so everybody understands what the question was, is the question was of the following nine, and there's going to be four more here in a second slide, Carmel put up, of these nine things at your shop, are these regular tasks of the service advisor? Not a once in a while task, but they are, are these regular standard tasks that they do most of the time or all of the time, whether somebody answered yes or not. Estimating, 93% of the respondents said yes. And then we go down the line, collect vehicle information, parts ordering, labor claims, operations management. And you can throw the other slide up there briefly if you want, uh, Carm. I'll do that. Go ahead. Quality control, assist the technicians, look up info for the technicians, uh, pick up, deliver customer parts, so on and so forth. Now, if you actually look at this list of nine things, I could definitely bring you some trainers in here that will tell you your service advisor shouldn't be doing any of this. <laughs> And in a pure sense, they're correct. Collecting the vehicle information, that's not too bad. I mean, that kind of makes sense as we're kind of getting this thing rolling to get some vehicle information. But boy, beyond that, they shouldn't be doing estimating. They shouldn't be dealing with parts or labor claims. Uh, Maybe operations and management, some of that will slide over to the service advisor. Quality control, I mean, this is shop foreman stuff. Assist technicians, I mean, the last three. Assist technicians, look up info for technicians or or lastly, pick up and deliver customer part. You're taking your salesman that makes the whole world go around and putting him out on the road so he can't be there to sell to the customers. That's just the, the worst thing in the world. So, and assisting the technicians. Oh, come on. Sometimes you wonder why your service advisor isn't as successful as he or she could be. Well, this is why. They're doing a whole bunch of stuff they shouldn't be doing. The purpose of a service advisor, and I, I talk about this, is to sell. And, and a salesman's not a bad word. A salesman's uh, a good word. The highest income people in the world are salesmen. Keep, always keep that in mind. A fantastic service advisor will make a day, and whether a shop succeeds in, extremely well or fails, can be done with one service advisor, a really good one or a really bad one. Yeah, when you, when you find this poll on our website, look that over and look at those nine things and ask yourself, my service advisor is doing how much of this stuff? Because most of it they shouldn't be doing. Tom, been doing this for eight years and uh, really have brought so much great wisdom, and including all the times you've been on the show. 
And I've seen an incredible shift in the last three years with service advisor training and coaching and mentoring. We've done shows on, do you need an estimator? Do you need a parts person? Depending on how big the company is. And I think the world has come to realize that these duties and tasks that we're putting on our service advisors need to go somewhere else so they can do what they were hired to do. And that is to sell, build a relationship with the customer. When you're a task busy person, you don't have eye contact. You don't shake hands. Works good in a number of shops I've seen it work well is a lot of people have two people that do service advising, maybe one more than the other, et cetera. This doesn't mean you have to hire a separate person to be an estimator and do all these other tasks. What it means is often in a a two-service advisor setup is you you kind of assess where you are and you take the person who's the best customer relations salesman and you make them the primary service advisor. The other person becomes the secondary service advisor. Do they help? Yeah. When, when When the phone's ringing and when the other one's tied up, then they jump in and help. But their primary job is parts and estimating and all these other things we had up on the screen. That's what they do. I mean, you may still call them a service advisor, but really they're kind of an estimator. They're a cross between an estimator and a parts person, a parts counter person uh, is what they do. And they they handle all that. And uh, that uh, is often a very efficient way of doing things. Uh, as opposed to having two service advisors try to do the same thing. Tom, who in your company does labor claims? Uh, we have what I just described. We've got two people, and one is in front, one's in back. And the, the person that does the estimating and the parts, they do the labor claims. Got it. And we've really streamlined the labor claims uh, to, to get them working really well. And some of the parts companies have really streamlined their system of labor claims. So labor claims are, are, are much easier to deal with now than they ever have been. Thank you so much for doing this. I would love to put up a slide that uh, shows a couple of things that we've recently done on the Town Hall Academy. Yeah. Service advisor overload. We had three business coaches that come up that really have a lot of passion for the service advisor. And this thing went on and on and on. And I said, stop it, guys. We, we just can't keep talking about this. You have to come back for part two. So about seven weeks later, they came back for part two. You got to listen to these Tunnel Academy 305 and 312. Go to my website if you can't find it on your uh, podcast player. But it's we are giving more owner responsibilities onto the service advisor, and they cannot do to prove with your. We should have had you on, Tom, with your survey. You know, played right into these coaches' hands because that's what they see when they get a chance to sit and coach and mentor and mastermind with service advisors, they say, I can't do my job. I can't do it because I'm doing this, 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 and that, that, that. It's interesting too. We've talked about personalities in the past. When you get this person who's a good people person, they're a good sales person, they're a good relational person, personality-wise, that individual tends to not be all that good at stuff like parts details and organization and all those things that tend to be opposite personalities. You're trying to find somebody to be really good at different things. And it, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work smoothly. Whereas the person that's really great at every last little fine knit detail, so on and so forth, they tend not be really great people p- persons. Uh, it's just, you know, that's just the, the way it is. Yeah. Listen, did you hear what Tom said? You hire a service advisor from the hospitality business because they're people people and people people don't tend to be detail people. The service advisor that uh, we hired last year, he had four years experience working in a casino. He'd deal with all kinds of customers in a casino. <laughs> you can just imagine. Does he play blackjack with the guy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but he, he was kind of a customer service type individual. That, that was... Uh, he. What he did, 
and uh, and really, he uh, uh, his car knowledge was uh, not high. <laughs> I mean, like like zero. And he's still there with you, and you're happy with him. Oh yeah, and and, and because so, because the other service advisor moved out of town, moved a uh, hundred miles away, he is actually now the lead service advisor. And, and he knows uh, what, what he's learned about cars in the last uh, eight months is just staggering. Wow. Uh, through training that we have, I mean, using the other staff that's there and through some really cool training that we found, he's really, really good with car stuff. And he's learning more all the time. There's lots of resources to learn nowadays. So give me a little uh, update on the labor rate tracker, Tom, which I think you're an industry first and leader and what a resource that is. Yeah, we're, we're closing in on, on 500 shops reporting. I think we're four, 475, 480 shops that have entered their rates. Uh, some states, there's a lot of shops reporting, California, Michigan, uh, New York, so on and so forth. And some of the other smaller states, not as many. But uh, you can get a feel, and the more we add the numbers, you're going to be able to get even better feel. I can tell you that uh, I know the lowest labor rate that we've recorded from a shop, and this was a repair shop, not a body shop, because we do have a body shop section too, which is lower rates, but from a repair shop was 50, and uh, the highest we recorded is 297. So that's a, a six factor going from one end to the other. Where was the 297? Uh, California somewhere? That was in the Bay Area, yeah. In the Bay Area, okay. Yeah, most of the rates in the Bay Area are, are pretty special. <laughs> well, when, yeah. <laughs> he, he listened to Tom's little drop words there. Very good. We did an episode with him. It was uh, in December when he launched LaborRateTracker.com. And I always reference, listen, we have so many incredible episodes that if you're just joining us or you say, oh, I missed that, I should go back and listen, and you want to scroll up in your podcast listening app, you may be scrolling for a while to get back to December, but uh, you can always go to our website, type in Tom Ham or 809 and listen to Labor Rate Tracker because the website is a repository of, you know, a great backlog of so many incredible episodes that we do with uh, great people in the, in our industry. So labor rate tracker, yeah. Since that December, as something brand new, it was brand new pretty much in December. Uh, it was only a few weeks old, and we fixed a lot of the glitches. So if you found it a little glitchy at first, and it really wasn't too bad, but we fixed a, a dozen things or so, so it works a little more smoothly, and it just works a little bit uh, better than it did initially. So uh, especially if you're a numbers type person, it's fun to just get into that thing and just sit in there and uh, and just kind of look at all the different rates all around the country. You know, you just go to laborratetracker.com. You do have to become a free member of the website in order to access the information, but we don't share your email with anybody. So you won't get any garbage from anybody else. You don't have to get the pay membership. We do have an optional pay membership, but that's not required. You can get to Labor Rate Tracker is free. That's really nice. So you can be free on uh, amnshop.com and still get the Labor Rate Tracker. Yes. What a guy. Do you want to grow up and be the Santa Claus someday? Well, <laughs> hey, there you go. Yeah, we got uh, a lot of them in the United States, so we're getting more and more up in Canada now, too. Great. Good for you. When you stop and look at some of the data, it's the labor rate data, the, the survey, the poll data, you got to sit there in wonderment and see how you could use that information to better you. Well, and, and we, you know, we've seen that. We've seen it both ways. I have seen uh, people are going in there. Once you enter it, you get under your profile, you get a little line there that refers to labor rate tracker. And then, uh, so you can go in there and you can edit it. If you, if you want to go in a month later and change it, you don't have to resubmit from scratch. You just go in your profile, go into your entry for labor rate, you can change it. And we've seen people, some go up, some go down. Definitely seen it both ways where they went in there and they saw in their city, metro state area, 
good area. And, and they looked at, yeah, we're too high. Maybe that's where we're slow. And then we see somebody drop a rate. We've seen the other thing too. Somebody said, well, maybe we're too low. We need to charge a bit more. So it's good information to have to just, uh, uh, you know, you don't want to set your labor rate by the guy up the street. I mean, we've all had that discussion a million times. It's by your cost. But still, there's a, there's a realistic range and, and you don't want to be too far out of the range. And remember, it's anonymous. You ask the name of your shop. We don't display that. And the only reason we ask the name is so we can verify, because we check each submission and verify it. Is this a real shop? Because we get about one out of 20 where it's just somebody who's curious and there's no real shop associated. So we delete those. We pull them back off. But we don't ask for your address or anything. And for instance, if you're in Buffalo, where Karma is, all it says is this shop is in Buffalo. Now, where in Buffalo, you don't know what suburb, you don't know where, it's just in Buffalo, so that's where the pin goes on the map. So we don't want to divulge where specific shops are for specific rates. We're just trying to get a general idea of that area. Thank you so much for being here on the show and all the great stuff and the relationship we have with you and amnshop.com. And for the latest survey results, we shouldn't spend so long away from doing this. You need to come back and, you know, and toss up another really cool bunch of data. The current survey, I love it if the if people would go there, and this, this one, because we leave the last three live, this will be live for quite a while, so please go there. But what we're asking, it's a little bit of a little bit of a unique question. We're asking about staffing at your shop in 2023, and I think we've got seven levels on there. Are you going to add a lot of people? Are you going to add some people? Are you maybe going to add one? Are you going to do no changes? Maybe get rid of one, maybe get rid of a few, or maybe get rid of a lot. So we asked those seven choices and we want to see if we can do that and kind of get a feel of where in 2023, where the industry's going as far as is there more job opportunities coming in or is it stagnant or are they going away? So that's what we're trying to find out here. So we'd love for you to indicate you can take that poll. And again, it, it's completely anonymous. Nobody, this one, we don't know who comes from at all. So, but we'd love to have you do that to help us get some information and then you you see the results too. AmenShop.com. Take that latest poll that's sitting up there. And thank you again, my friend, Tom Ham. Hey, thanks for having me. Love to be here. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time, 